Welcome to Trinity Sermons. Here at Trinity Church Streetsville, we want to share messages that inspire you in your faith journey as we learn together to love Jesus, live like Jesus, and lead others to Jesus. This is episode four of our sermon series, Renovation of the Heart. Today, we have guest preacher Luke Lima with us. He is a student from Wycliffe College, and today he will be preaching about dealing with our feelings. Certainly a talk that you don't want to miss. But before we begin, please make sure to take a minute to follow our podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our future episodes. We hope you enjoy the sermon today, and God bless. A reading from Mark chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with their hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? Instead of eating their food with defiled hands, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding onto human traditions. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile the person. The word of the Lord. I want to say good morning to you all. It's a pleasure to be here uh, and to talk about feelings. How are you feeling today? (laughs) Maybe uh, yesterday was Canada Day, right? So happy Canada Day. Maybe you're feeling proud about Canada. Maybe not so much. <laughs> um, feelings are something, aren't they? Libby was just sharing from her heart the, you know, all of the anxiety and and the and the, and the excitement and the stress of of doing a renovation of a house, of an actual house. Um, that's, I think, our experience of feelings. Feelings are. Um, powerful that way. And, you know, you, you can feel happy, you can feel sad, you can feel hope, 
despair. You can feel all of that at once. Feelings are something else. When, when Rob told me I would be talking about feeling, I thought, how do I feel about that? <laughs> you know, and it's not just emotional feeling, right? There's even physical feeling, too. I mean, a favorite feeling of mine, of the physical sort, and that's sarcasm, is when I'm eating and all of a sudden you feel that urge to sneeze. It's, you, you can't control it. And you want to sneeze and you're eating. It's, it's terrible. Feelings are an integral part of our lives. There is no way we can live without feelings. And frankly, would you like to live without feelings? Um, psychopaths, notoriously, it's not that they don't have any feelings. They do have some feelings, actually. But most of the normal feelings that normal, sort of regular people have, non-psychopaths anyways, they don't have. Would you like to live like that? Nobody would like to live like that. Feelings are important. In the book that I think some of you might be reading, called Renovation of the Heart, that Rob has been recommending for this series, Dallas Willard opens the chapter about feelings with this sentence. Feelings are a primary blessing and a primary problem for, the human, for human life. Why would he say something like that? Why, why are feelings a, could, be feel, could feelings be a problem? I'm sure I'm not the only one, right? Um, we, we, some, so many times, I think, um, you have had that, must have had that experience. You know what you want to do, you know what you need to do, but you feel like doing something else. You feel otherwise. You feel tired, I don't know, or you feel like watching TV or another episode of The Chosen instead of whatever it is that you need to do. It's like there's this battle going on sometimes between what you think and what you feel. Well, let me give you a very personal example, actually. Last year, October 7th, my dad, who lived in Brazil, passed away. I received the news I was here, starting a very busy semester at Wycliffe College when I, I received the news. And it was somewhat unexpected. It, he was sick, but he was getting better. You get your hopes up. You know how that goes. Feelings, right? And let me tell you, it was, I remember that very well. It was a Friday afternoon. That Friday, when I heard, I, of course, I was sad. I cried in the shower as I took a shower later. And the Saturday, I was also sad, feeling sad. But it wasn't until Sunday morning, just as I was having breakfast before church, and Priscilla hadn't even woken up yet. I was by myself. I, why would I do that? I opened YouTube. My dad was a, was a musician, actually. And so I, for some reason, I felt like watching one of his very last videos, music videos. And boy, it, it, it hit me hard. It was this flood of emotions coming, like it felt like a flood of emotions coming crashing down on me. I couldn't stop crying. I felt like a, like a kid. I felt like I was back to being a child. The feelings were so overwhelming, the feeling of grief. And I was supposed to help in church, and I just thought, how am I going to do that? <laughs> it's not going to happen. 
Feelings are that strong. Let me give you another example, actually, still on the same note.、Uh, I love comedy. I've always loved a good old sitcom and something Priscilla and I like to watch. But guess what? Oh, yeah, I, I need to tell you this.、Uh, whenever my mom recommends me something to watch on TV, and it's usually, well, this is amazing, this is an amazing movie, it's usually a drama, I know. And I, 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 my joke, I used to joke, well, why would I want to watch some more drama? There's enough drama in real life, thank you very much. I, <laughs> I want to pass on that. But guess what? After my dad passed away, I just couldn't watch even the somewhat upbeat show that we were watching anymore. We, we, we had to stop. And, and I was drawn to drama, to watching drama. It, feelings are that powerful. They can control you in ways that you and I are almost helpless to actually try to control them. And guess what? It, it's true. We are. Very helpless in trying to control our feelings. I actually minored in psychology in my BA at Redeemer. And so I'm going to throw you some psychology right now. <laughs> But I think it's helpful.、Um, when, when I thought about you know, talking about feelings, I said no. I really thought back to this.、Uh, there's this very famous.、Um, Very influential. He's been named among the 25 most influential psychologists of our time, called Jonathan Haidt. And the metaphor that he uses for the brain, which, of course, from a psychological point of view, feelings, everything happens in the brain, right? So the, the, the metaphor that he uses for the brain is that of a writer and the elephant. Yes, that one right there. Lest I misquote him, let, let me read him for you how he himself describes this. The writer, is our conscious, the writer is our conscious reasoning. The streams of words, the stream of words and images which, of which we are fully aware. The elephant is the other 99% of mental processes, the ones that occur. Outside of awareness, but that actually govern most of our behavior. And he goes on. I developed this metaphor in the happiness hypothesis, which is a book he wrote, a very famous one, where I described how the writer and the elephant work together, sometimes poorly, and this is very important, as we stumble, listen to this, as we stumble through life in search of meaning and connection. If you want the technical terms from psychology, the writer represents what we call controlled processes, and the elephant has to do with what we call automatic processes. The writer represents conscious reasoning and thinking. The elephant is where the realm of emotions, affections, and feelings and intuition lives. So let's take a closer look. How do they work together? Well, do they work together? You know, you can try to pull the elephant, and it's not going to work because guess what? The elephant is very, very heavy. Yeah, you're just going to be there. It's not moving, is it? It's,、uh, it's a struggle. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter how much you 
you, you, you tell or try, your feelings are that powerful. That's what this metaphor, I, I get from this metaphor anyways. Haidt actually suggests that the writer's job is to serve the elephant. And this is very key. What the psychology actually indicates is not, that, is not so much that you think and then you feel, that you think about something in a certain way and then you feel about that thing in a certain way. That's not how it works. You usually already feel about something a certain way and then you reason about it in service of how you feel about it. Let me give you an example. Politics. That's the reason why it's almost useless to try to get into an argument with a, with a politician, or I mean, in politics, in politicians as well. Because you, those commitments are made really deep down, most of the time anyways, not at the rational level, but at the emotional level. You already, you already feel a certain way about that party or that candidate, and therefore you reason about him or her or the party in, in order to, to, uh, to support how you feel about it. And, and that's unconscious. You don't even realize it. It's, it's how it happens in our minds all the time. And, you know, something I find very fascinating about this is that this is the psychology today, this is psychologists, and guess what? St. Augustine, over five, 1,500 years ago, was saying something very similar to that already. <laughs> He had this idea. It's, he's, Augustine's is, is, um, his thought is very complex, but, but in, in a nutshell, he had this idea of the will as the center of um, something that actually determines Your, your whole being, your, your will, and not, not reason, not actually reason, not, not your thinking. It's, it's at the level of the heart. In our passage, now you might be thinking, what does that have to do with, with this passage of ours? In our passage, the Pharisees criticize Jesus because they see his disciples eating without washing their hands. Let me, let me just uh, tell you something. That had nothing to do with with uh, hygiene, right? They, they were not washing. The, it, it, that was not the case. They had no idea about bacteria and germs and all these things that today we know about. That, that's not what is at, at work here. The, the reason they were criticizing Jesus' disciples for not washing their hands is because they washed their hands in order to be clean religiously, ceremonially. Um, it had to do with being accepted before God with being holy, actually. They thought that washing their hands made them holy. And so they see Jesus' disciples not washing their hands, and they say, ha, why are they doing that? What kind of a rabbi would Jesus be if he couldn't even get his disciples to wash their hands? Not because of hygiene, because of what I just said. But I just love how Jesus completely turns the tables here. It's, you have to bear in mind that the, the Pharisees are the, the holiest of holy people that would have existed in that day. You would see them and you, oh, those are Pharisees, they're really holy. And you would feel inferior and you would feel, those are the Pharisees. And these are the people to whom Jesus says these words. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
Jesus goes on and he warns them that nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. The disciples, of course, are as low to understand as we are. So they ask a question and Jesus has to clarify. And then Jesus says, oh, are you so dull? (laughs) Don't you see that nothing that enters a person, food, for example, can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart. It's what comes out of the heart. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it, is for, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And my, my theological mind here, um, it's, it's also connected to the psychology that I know and I was just sharing with you, right? It's amazing to me the precision of Jesus' diagnosis. Like we just established, your feelings actually come first and then you reason. And Jesus is saying, it's from the heart that come even, even, even evil thoughts. Now, um, I want to make something very clear before we continue. Um, please don't come away from the sermon with the ex- impression that I'm advocating a reductionist view that everything is sin, and so I'm associating feeling, feelings with sin. That's not my intention at all. Feelings are a blessing. Feelings are what makes you human. But I am focusing on the brokenness of feelings. You know, that disconnect that we are talking about, right, between what you think and what you actually feel. Or sometimes there are, there's a disconnect even between what you want and what you want to want. That's how messed up we are. I think, in some ways, this is part of the human condition that Jesus is addressing here. It's, Jesus is telling them that there is a fundamental problem with us. It's not about food, it's not about, it's at the level of the heart. It's a renovation of the heart that we need and that only he can address. I, I love this passage because the Pharisees were so full of themselves and they thought they had it all together, but Jesus just turns the table on them and he just levels the playing field. Everyone is, is in the same condition before God. We, we really are that broken. And our feelings, I think, when I thought about it for this sermon, I thought, you know, it's that condition. It's, it's the rider and the elephant, you know, you how can you change your feelings if you have feelings that you would like to have changed? Jesus just says, the problem, folks, is way deeper than you think. And feelings have this funny way of taking over. Um, all of a sudden, they could be ruling your life. You could be just living out of your feelings, and, and that might and might not work, actually. Let me throw you just another quote from from Jonathan Haidt, which I think is, is very helpful, actually. He says, he's talking about human nature. This is very interesting. It's, it's at the introduction of the book that I read, and he's, talking about, he's, he's reflecting on human nature. And bear in mind, Jonathan Haidt is a secular social psychologist, not religious, he's an atheist. He says, when talking about human, condition, uh, human nature, we are indeed selfish hypocrites. 
so skilled at putting on a show that we fool even ourselves. And he, he, he was talking about it in the context of doing good deeds. And what he's saying is we do them, but we don't feel like doing them. We just do them to show up, like to show that, to appear good, right? And that was certainly the case with the Pharisees in our passage. But I wonder, is that the final verdict? Is that the final word on our human condition? That, that we really are this messed up? And you know the ending, I, I, I didn't put that in the, in the slide, but you know the ending of this verse, it's, it's out of the human heart that all these evil things come. And, you know, is that the end? Is that the final verdict? Of course not. You, you, you know you're here because you believe it isn't. But it is our human condition. And, you know, last week, Rob, um, he, he quoted from a passage where the Apostle Paul is wrestling precisely with this, the human condition, that thing about, I think about this, and, and I, I actually want to do this, but I even can't. And then he says, oh, yes, sorry, for it is from within, from the heart, that thoughts, evil thoughts come. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me just make something very clear. When you see body there, please don't think about our physical bodies. I mean, we don't need, we need to do away with this um, dualistic mentality of spirit versus body. That's not what the Apostle Paul meant. I mean, most theologians today would agree that what Paul meant by body subject to death is precisely this inherited human condition that we all share, the brokenness that we all share. And there's something I really like about this verse is in the Greek at the end there is much more direct and succinct than the NIV makes it sound like. When, when the Apostle Paul is thinking about this and I wish I did that, and, but I feel another way, he says, he exclaims, what a wretched man I am. And then he asks, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And in the Greek, his answer is just thanks to God through Jesus Christ. Thanks to God, it is through Jesus Christ that I am rescued. And we are very soon going to celebrate the communion. And, you know, another way to refer to communion that is often used is the word Eucharist. It sounds fancy, but the word just means thanksgiving. When we're celebrating communion, we are actually giving thanks to God for Jesus Christ. Because he is this Savior. He is this one who sees the inner thoughts of our hearts, the feelings that we all have, the feelings that you don't want to have. And he sees it all, and he's the one who can fix them. He's the one who can actually fix them. 
Um, there, there's something I, I shared with you, psychology, and psychology can be helpful. I thought it would be helpful to actually, if, if you're aware that that's how our brains work, you know, oh, this is why I feel this way, and this is why it's so difficult. But psychology will only go so far, right? Um, it, it's like, to use the analogy of, of a fixer-upper, I think psychology, or any human effort for that matter, is like painting a wall that has structural damage. It's not going to do anything. The house will eventually fall. We, we need someone who sees right through us, like Jesus saw right through the Pharisees, who sees our hearts, who can actually fix our hearts. And that is Jesus. Because Jesus is not only God, but he's also human. So he understands us. He himself experienced what we experience, the brokenness that we experience without sin. The author of Hebrews had a lot to say about this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne with, of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, something came to my mind as I was preparing this sermon, and that was an interesting, I mean, I think it's an, you know, imagine if Jesus were here physically, and we could actually approach him physically and ask him, Lord, I, I mean, I would have all my own questions. Lord, look at me. I have all these feelings that I can't control. And, you know, and, and we came to him and asked him, how, how can I reframe my feelings? Which is, which is the, the theme of this sermon. How can I reframe my feelings? I have a feeling that Jesus' answer would be, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I... It's very interesting. If you were to look at Jesus' uh, sermons and teachings in the Gospels, he was a very practical guy. There's a lot of theology. We need theology. I mean, uh, Rob mentioned Dr. Stratus. I was in his class. I love theology. There's a lot of theology outside of the Gospels, I would say, because you're thinking about what Jesus did and, and what he has done for us, the death and resurrection of Christ. But while Jesus himself was here in the Gospels, the Gospels are just very, very practical. And Jesus' own teaching is very practical. He was a praxis-oriented guy. If he saw a blind man by the side of the road, he would go right there and heal him. And his sermons were delivered to the people that the religious leaders of the day would have ignored. They didn't care much about them. He just seemed to like going to the marginalized for some reason. So if we, if we want to know what the kingdom of God is like, that Jesus talked so much about, oh yeah, that's what I'm sorry, I forgot to say. If you were to look at the Gospels and to try to think of 
especially the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you try to think of what's the most common theme, probably the, one of the top answers would have to be something to do with the kingdom of God. Jesus talks about it all the time. And if we want to know what the kingdom of God is, it's, it's just this. The kingdom of God, which is what Jesus brings to earth, is hope for a very broken world. It's a place where the least is the greatest and the last are the first. The kingdom of God is feeding the hungry, ministering to the hopeless, fighting for justice for those who, can, who don't have a voice. And you may think that this is a detour from a sermon about feelings, but I really think that if, we, if Jesus were here physically and we could actually ask him, Rabbi, what about our feelings? I have all these bad feelings. I wish I were a better person. Can you transform me? And of course he will transform you. That's his job. But I think he would smile. He would look at you with a smile on his face and he would say, seek first God's kingdom and all these things will be added to you. And trust that the rest will be taken care of. There's something about getting our hands dirty with the work of God's kingdom. Even when you don't feel like it, and that just ends up shaping you as you go, as you walk with King Jesus. You may feel inadequate and unworthy, but don't listen to your feelings there. Just do it. I'm sure there's many people in this congregation who will tell you that sometimes the change, the transformation of the heart happens as you are involved in ministry, whatever that is, as you get involved working in the kingdom, whether it's volunteering here at Trinity or a local food bank or a shelter. Jesus' invitation to you and me is to join him in restoring the whole world. And the reframing of our feelings happens in that process. Some people experience that conversion experience that you change like water to wine all of a sudden. The vast majority of us, it's a long process. Day by day, you you screw up, you come back, you repent, and Jesus is there. I just love how Paul the Apostle describes the kingdom of God in this verse. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. And and forget about that part. It's a complicated story, but... The kingdom of God is about righteousness, which can also be translated as justice, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Just imagine a world. Imagine a world where justice, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit are what rule. This is what God wants for us. I mean, imagine what our feelings would be like in that world. And, but we don't have to wait for it. I mean, yes, we do. It's both and in theology. The kingdom of God is at hand, but at the same time, we wait for the final fulfillment. It, we're living between. And Jesus restores us as we go. To close, I, I thought I wanted to share with you, and, and even if we just read it together, because this passage is so powerful. It, it always moved me so much. We're talking about feelings. This is one of the passages that moves me the most because it's Jesus' own feelings. Jesus Christ is the one who sees through 
you who sees your needs, your, your most, your, your, you know, unfulfilled needs, the feelings that you have that nobody else knows about Jesus does. And guess what? He himself had a moment, and there I say this, I don't know if I, I'm saying heresy here, Dustin, but Jesus himself had, a, had his own struggle with feelings. Um, the passage that we're about to read, which is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, is right before he is betrayed. It's right before the crucifixion. And this is the most, this is Jesus Christ, the perfect human being, the bravest of, of all the brave people that have ever lived. Jesus Christ, at the very last moment, has this conversation with the Father. And we, we get a look into how he was feeling. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Let's look at the feelings there. The Greek is, is really strong. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Have you ever felt like that? Nobody, no, none of us will ever feel like this. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, that hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. This is Jesus Christ, the perfect, the, the, the only perfect human being who has ever lived, who never sinned. At the very last moment, he came to this very hour. There's another passage where he actually says this in John. Well, what would I say to the Father? Deliver me from this hour? Because I came for this hour. I came to earth to die on the cross. And here we look at Jesus' own heart. And that struggle that you and I have, Jesus also faced. The thing is, we, you and I, more often than not, don't succeed. <laughs> Jesus did. He did go to the cross, and the rest is history. The world was changed. This is our Savior. He is the high priest, which means the one who intercedes between you and me with God, who is also human. He sees our pain, he sees our sorrow, he sees our hurt. And he's right there to heal us from all of that. In my grief, um, after my dad passed, it was really difficult. There were times when I couldn't really do anything else. It, it just, I needed an extension, as Justin well knows. And it helps talking about, about it. You want to talk about your feelings. Don't, don't suppress them or ignore them, because they will explode eventually. You want to talk about them with someone you trust. But my experience was that it, it actually drew me closer to God. Don't let your feelings govern your life. 
I mean, as we saw, that is the psychological model for, feel, for, for thoughts and feelings. But I think there is a better way with Christ. He can bring peace and harmony to our very broken souls. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening to our sermon today. If you found the message thought-provoking and inspiring, please feel free to rate our podcast so that we can better share the message and good news with others. The sermon was taken from the July 2nd, 2023 service at Trinity Church Streetsville in Mississauga, Ontario. Thanks for listening.